We're about to flip the calendar to 2018, and the Syracuse basketball team is about to flip the calendar to ACC play. Just a couple games left here in non-conference play, and then it's time for the big boys. Although, Syracuse has seen plenty of those along the way. My guest this week on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, the first repeat guest, is Mike Waters, beat reporter on the Syracuse basketball beat for Syracuse.com and the Post Standard. Make sure you read all of his work at Syracuse.com in the newspaper and follow him on Twitter at Mike Waters, S-Y-R. We're going to go over everything with this team, how they've played, are they ahead of pace in non-conference play, what some of the challenges on the schedule that remain for this Orange basketball team. Speaking of which, my guys Brian and Bruce Rapp, they bleed orange, and they are celebrating the season with slam dunk deals. See what we did there? On Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, go see Brian, go see Bruce. They've got the all-star shopping experience. 2018 is coming. You thinking about a new car? Brian, Bruce, they've got it. Either way, always a great deal, always a smart choice. Check it out yourself at BillRap.com. So we're here with Mike Waters, and I don't have a prize or anything for you, but congratulations, (laughs) you are the first repeat guest on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. I love this. That's awesome. um, Saturday Night Live has that club where if you've guest host five times, (laughs) don't you get a jacket or something? If you make it to five times, I'll buy you a sandwich or something. How about that? All right. Not a jacket. I'll be like the the Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin of your pod. I would love that. But you don't get a jacket. I, the budget's not high enough on this thing yet. Maybe That's, a sandwich or something, like I'll, we said. I'll take the sandwich. Michael, we are <laughs> uh, just about ready for ACC play with this team. And, you know, they've got a couple more games left. As we tape this here, it's Thursday. They've got St. Bonaventure, Eastern Michigan left. And then, hey, giddy up. It's ACC time. Yeah. So, based on what we've seen so far, is this team where you thought they would be in non-conference play? Are they maybe even ahead of the game right now? Are they behind? Where, where would you put them? I'll put them ahead because going back to my preseason predictions, if you parsed it out, <laughs> I didn't have them doing that great. Um, they've won more than, than I would have expected at this point. The level of play has been fairly consistent, which has surprised me from such a young team. Uh, I really thought with um, basically a new point guard in Frank Howard, who had the job at the beginning of last year and lost it to John Gillen. So he's back in that role, but new uh, and just inexperienced across the front line with the freshmen and the, and the inexperienced centers. This team is going to be the type of team that's going to drop a game uh, to an Iona, an Oakland, uh, Toledo. Heck, Buffalo the other night was almost, almost the type. Happened. I thought yeah. we might see that type of game two or three times. And instead, they've taken care of business in all those games. And then they've gone out and they've beaten Maryland. They beat Connecticut on a neutral court. And they've won at Georgetown. I don't know how you could expect this team to have done better. Uh, and certainly, I, I don't think they – I didn't think they would do all this. Um, the play of Dolage off the bench has been incredible. The play of O'Shea Brissett. Uh, the, the level of consistency that he's shown as a freshman, especially offensively, is amazing. Tyus Battle stepping into that go-to guy role. Uh, I know we're going to get to all the players, but, yeah, to wrap up my answer to you to your short question, um, I think this team's ahead of where I thought it would be. That's what's remarkable about it is, you know, they've had some adversity. They had to come back against Maryland a little bit, that Georgetown game. They had to crawl out of a 13-point hole. Buffalo just kept coming at them. 
The other night, wouldn't go away, kept hitting threes in big spots. You know, Frank Howard at the end of that game gives up back-to-back steals and Buffalo scores, and you're like, oh, here you go. And then he comes right back down and hits a three-pointer. So I think this team has shown remarkable poise in tight situations with that inexperience. Now, the guys making plays are mostly Tyus Battle and Frank Howard. They've been around, but... You brought up O'Shea Brissett yeah. and just where this has come from from this guy. And he, Mike, he's let, let's start with him. He is doing yeah. everything. He's scoring, and it's it's a diversity of scoring. He, we know he can shoot the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. He can get inside. Then the other night, he goes 16 for 16 from the free throw line. And bless his heart for that because you know how big <laughs> of a fan of free throws I am. Free throws matter, hashtag. He, he is dedicated to and actually, like, enjoys rebounding. And he's made some plays on the defensive end. So you want to talk about head of the game. I think you got you got to start with him. Yeah, he might be the single biggest reason why this team is ahead of the game, as, as I think we both agree it, it is. Um, thought he was going to be good. Thought he was underrated because he was coming in from outside the United States. So some rating services don't look at the international guys or even the Canadian guys unless they play ball in the United States, like Tyus, Tyler Ennis did when he came down to New Jersey. And um the consistent scoring is unbelievable. You know, at about 15.5 points per game. And, of course, the last two games, he's had 25 points in each of the last two. Which, by the way, he's the first Syracuse freshman to score as many as 25 points in back-to-back games since Dante Green. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Who, I know some Syracuse fans like the dog Dante. First round But pick. you know what? Yeah, he was pretty good. And if you look at his freshman year numbers, he averaged like 17.5 points per game. He was way up there in terms of the fr- – I think he's second only to Carmelo. I think he's ahead of Lawrence. He's up there. Yeah, so he had a great freshman year. Um, so so uh, the numbers, O'Shea, the, the, the game he had at Georgetown with the, the 25 points and 14 boards, I did the research on that one. The only other freshman in Jim Beheim's coaching tenure who had had as many as 25 and 14 in the game was Carmelo Anthony. There you go. I mean – Come on. You're putting this kid in in the same breath with, you know, things that Carmelo did and things that Dante Green did and nobody else. Uh, It's um, it's pretty remarkable what he's doing. And and I think he can he's only going to get better. And I don't know if he gets better this year because it's in season, but he's hitting a little under 30 percent from three point range. But he can shoot the ball. His shooting form is good. You know, so I think. In a few years, you're going to see O'Shea, whether he's here or whether he's in the NBA somewhere, I think you see O'Shea Brissett knocking down threes, and, man, is that going to add to his Well, game. that's one thing. We'll have to kind of circle back on that at some point. When yeah. you, you know, you're making your, your quest to be a five-timer here on the podcast down the road. But NBA <laughs> scouts are going to start noticing if they haven't already. They're watching Tyus Battle and other players that Syracuse plays. Like, well, wait a minute. We might have to accelerate our process and looking for him. But one thing that really struck me, Mike, and I can't remember if it was you or Donna who quoted him, but it was after that first exhibition game, and O'Shea was discussing in the locker room how nervous he was to, to go out there and play this exhibition game against, I can't remember who it was, Southern New Hampshire or Connecticut, <laughs> or one of those directional schools that they played. And here the kid is, 11 games into the season, with ACC play around the corner, and he looks like one of the most poised players on the team. So how did he go from nervous freshman again in an exhibition game in front of 8,000 people to you know, being one of the most clutch players on this team? It's incredible. I, I think it's amazing how fast uh, the, the kids that can adapt. Uh, not all, but some. And, and O'Shea's in that group of you adapt to your new surroundings. You were nervous the first time you went out and tried it. Um, you remember, too, the, the team does not practice in the Carrier Dome as much as it used to since the uh, the building of the Mellow Center. 
so they practice largely at the Mellow, and especially in the preseason, they, they, they don't get over to the Dome. Uh, they really only practice at the Dome on days before home games. So if it wasn't a – he probably only had a practice or two before he said, yeah, I was a little nervous. So I don't see this kid. I don't see nerves anywhere. He plays with a lot of poise. Uh, takes generally good shots. He doesn't force anything. I uh, love the way he attacks the basket. And the other night with the 16 free throws, you know, when he attacked the basket early, early in the season, he would go and he would try to avoid contact in order to get his shot off. And he still does that, he does that a lot. But he's starting to go in and he's accepting of the contact. Draw the foul. If you happen to make the shot, great. But, man, drawing a foul on a drive to the basket, especially if you're an 80% free throw shooter, you're going to get your points, and you put a foul on the, somebody on the other team and get their big guys into foul trouble. Yeah, I, I, I like that better than off-balance shots that avoid contact and go in maybe 30% of the time. Moving to the backcourt, Mike, this has been fascinating to watch. With Tyus Battle, look, it is a steady line. We knew he was going to be the go-to guy. He has been the go-to guy. He has led this team in scoring in all but two games this season. What's interesting, though, is Buffalo really made a concerted effort to say, you are not going to beat us tonight. They face-guarded him. They got you know, double teams and did everything they could to take him out. Still managed to squeeze out and make some plays in that game, but... I'm wondering how many other teams will attempt that going forward, and that kind of tosses over to Frank Howard, who Frank has been incredible this year in that for every mistake he makes, he makes two good plays. And it's an extreme. The Buffalo game is another great example of that. Has the ball swiped from him twice, and Buffalo takes a 68-67 lead late, and you're like, okay, this is it. Like, Buffalo finally broke through. He goes right down, hits a three-pointer on the other end. So to see him mature and evolve and get over those mistakes and for Tyus Battle to be the, the steady stream that he is, not only has it been fun to watch and interesting to watch, Mike, they need to be this because obviously they're not very deep at guard. Only Howard Washington <laughs> is sitting on that bench ready to spell these guys if something should happen. Yeah, these guys are probably going to set records in terms of minutes played. I mean, in the non-conference, they're already playing 40 minutes a game. Um, and usually you see those numbers only in ACC or Big East play. Uh, the non-conference, at some point, guys rest. Uh, these guys don't get the chance to do that. They're not blowing teams out. So going back to the two guys individually, you know, Tyus, yes, Syracuse and Tyus Battle can expect to see more of what they saw against Buffalo. If you're another team getting ready to play Syracuse, why wouldn't you? You know, I want to see if a freshman, O'Shea Brissett, can do what he did. I, I want to put more pressure on Frank Howard to do more because I, I, I've seen Tyus Battle do it too often, consistently, like you said. So I, I think especially when you get to ACC play and teams are going to have scouting reports, uh, really good ones, because uh, you prepare a little bit more and, it's, I, and there's a little bit more familiarity. You're going to play people, some people twice, but they're going to be ready. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to see teams really uh, give Tyus Battle the, the, the treatment. He's going to get face guarded. He's going to get double teamed. And his man is never going to help off of him either. So and guys like Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, Matt Moyer. You know, Matt's not an incredible offensive player. Uh, doesn't have a great shot. Uh, doesn't really have that first step uh, explosiveness where he can get by a guy. But he and Marek both have an ability to find the opening to anticipate when to go to the basket and receive the pass 
Um, like the big game that, that Matt Moyer had down at the Garden against Connecticut, I think he hit one three-pointer, maybe two. But everything else was dunks because he went to the basket when he was left unguarded or when his man turned his head to look for Frank or Tyus, go to the bat. You know, he was moving to open spots. Marek moves to open spots. He's fantastic at it. So guys like that have to keep doing that. I don't expect Matt Moyer to create. But if someone is spending too much attention on Tyus Battle, there's opening somewhere for somebody. And probably it's going to be the, the forwards. It's interesting what you brought up with, with Matthew Moyer and, and Marek and this team down low. And we'll get into that a little bit after this word from Bill Rapp. I remember my sister got a car for Christmas one time. Man, I was so jealous. The Rapp family at the Bill Rapp Superstore, I think they're going to make some more siblings like me pretty jealous this holiday. Thanks to game-winning deals on new and pre-owned vehicles, the Rapp family, big SU Hoops fans, can't guarantee that every new vehicle they have comes in orange, but they can guarantee 100% satisfaction. Check it out yourself, BillRapp.com. Bleed orange, save green. Hey, I like that. At Bill Rapp Superstore, always a great deal, always the smart choice. I don't know if they have those big bows that you put on cars. I'm not sure about that. You may have to get that yourself, but you can get a great deal at Bill Rapp. I know that. So all those names you mentioned, Mike, are doing exactly what they need to do. They've also been players that have suffered either, how can I put this, injuries that haven't kept them out but are worth monitoring. You know, Merrick hits his head on the floor, and I cannot believe he got up and played after that. It was merely a flesh wound. I mean, he just kept moving. Matthew Moyer hurt his wrist the other day against Buffalo. We know that Barama is going through a knee situation right now. Yeah, This is not a deep team, Mike, and they've got some (laughs) ailments that are starting to build up here. And I know through the course of a four-month basketball season, everybody gets bumps and bruises, and it's not a football team, but everybody has things they have to deal with. We're only 11 games in. We're only 11 games in here. And all it's going to take is one big injury to throw this whole thing off, and they have have towed that line in the past couple of years. How about Tyus Battle early in the season flipping over the Texas Southern kid and landing up flat on his back? Even he cut his hand the other night too and they had to treat him and, and he was out of the game for a little bit yeah brad pike is, is going to earn his money this year as the team's trainer getting the keeping these guys ready keeping them uh, able to play because yeah they some guys there's a difference between injured and hurt <laughs> yes there is <laughs> so if you're injured you can play if you're hurt you gotta sit that's how that goes exactly right? and you know and then that's there's a little bit of trepidation then but when you see barama sidibe sit twice in a three-game span, that's not good. They're they're really having to manage uh, the tendonitis in his knee, plus the the ankle that he that he sprained. I think it was in the Kansas game, or was that? I start to forget who got hurt when, because O'Shea also turned an ankle in the Kansas that's right. game. That's right. Uh, badly too. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny you see these guys after games, and some of them just basically have ice on every joint. Whether it's an ankle, a knee, an elbow, or wherever, they've got ice everywhere. And, and sometimes you don't get too alarmed because that's just what they do now. You you put ice on areas and to, to cool them down, and to keep, you know uh, that's how they manage to get these guys through a thirty-five game season. Um, Tyus battles in a good situation to be able to play these kind of minutes. He's first of all, he came into Syracuse in great physical shape. I'm I don't know if I can't remember the last time I saw a kid come to Syracuse 
who in high school had such tremendous training, work ethic, weightlifting, dedication to it, uh, especially a card. Uh, so I think he can manage this. He knows his body. Uh, Frank Howard, being a little older as well, is in tremendous physical condition. I think he's used to the, the grind and the rhythm of the season. Uh, he hasn't played these kind of minutes before, but still I, I, he knows the pace uh, of the season. Not, not, a, not pace in a game, but like – as you move from game to game and the days in between games and how you manage, you know, a, an ankle or a sore back or whatever it might be. Um, you got to keep your eyes on the freshmen. Those are the ones, the O'Shea's, Marek's, Baramas, uh, to see how they can manage it because it's going to end up being a long year for O'Shea. And even Marek, too, at least not logging the huge minutes that O'Shea is going to. But it, it's going to be a long year. Let me hone in on Marek for a minute here because we, we love to. He, he, what a player. You know, we, we sat here when we did the first podcast. We couldn't even pronounce his name. We didn't even know. We were trying to figure that out. Not, Still. Only, not only have we figured that out, here's a guy who has come in, and speaking of kind of what we were discussing with physical ailments and battling through things, here's a skinny kid who has come in here and has become the most ferocious player off the bench. Rebounding, opportunistic offensive player. You're not going to get a ton out of him offensively, but when he's open, he can score. He's defending. He's He is the spark plug off the bench for this team. And I think that's kind of what they were hoping they would get out of him. But you want to talk about somebody who is not only ahead of pace, but has become an important part of this team already. I mean, you, you just got to look right at him. He's got to give him good minutes off the bench because Matt Moyer's going to be up and down. We have to remember he's only a redshirt freshman. So he's going through a, you know, a playing season for the first time himself. So you need backups. Unlike maybe in the backcourt with Tyus and Frank, you can get away with not having too much off the bench. But um, between O'Shea and, and, and Matt, you need someone like Marek. And, man, he just has an innate sense for how you play the game. He, he's not shooting it really well. The three-point shot is not there. Uh, boy, if that ever came around, you'd have a real complete player. But you love the fact he's averaging like six rebounds a game in about 20 to 24 minutes. He just attacks loose balls. He goes. He rebounds outside of his space which is, I think, the key to rebounding in this era anyway. Uh, people, I, you know, I, I hear people all the time, but especially when Syracuse isn't rebounding well, they don't block out. Well, you know what? You don't block out a lot anymore in basketball anyway. Uh, the physical Maurice Lucas bruiser power forward guy isn't there anymore. And especially if you're playing defense in the zone, you're not finding a man to block out. You go for the ball. you know, And to know where the ball's going to come off the rim and to be willing to go outside your space is the secret to rebounding uh, in general and specifically for Syracuse too. And Marek does that. You see him fly in from outside the screen uh, to get a ball that like three other guys are kind of going for. And here's this like, you know, long arm coming flying in and a, and a little shock of blonde hair. <laughs> and wow, that was Marek. How do you get that rebound? And he does it third on the team in offensive boards too which he's getting a lot of his little tip-ups and, and he keeps possessions alive and a huge one at the end of the Georgetown game that actually didn't pay off. But at the end of regulation, when Syracuse had the ball and the score mm -hmm. tied, uh, he was the one that got that long rebound. And I think the, the rebound off Tyus Battles yeah. missed. And he rotated it back around and Frank Howard had that wide open look and it just didn't go down. Great passer too. It, Underrated part of his game. He yeah. really is. And again, it goes to this just he has just an understanding and a feel for the game and is, you know, as a basketball purist, you just love watching guys like that and you just hope 
you know, as he gets older, another year from now, the the rest of his game rounds out, you have a real player. Well, and he did what you just described can be applied to other players on this team. I mean, like this team a year ago was in the three hundreds when it came to rebounding statistically. Yeah, which They're is now weird. one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country so far. You know, we got league play yeah. to come. Right. But they're in the top 50 in both categories. So I think what you just said about Marek, does that apply to the rest of the team? Yeah. They're smart about how they rebound. They O'Shea. care about it. O'Shea in particular. Matt even Moyer. Even the guards. Matt Moyer's been great rebounding, particularly the When Matt Moyer's games, really yeah. playing hard, when he's focused on the game, he's 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 chasing rebounds. He, you know, he gets in there and he, and he plays with that intensity. Uh, when he's having a bad night, you can just look at, like, oh, is he rebounding the ball? Is he tipping it, keeping it alive? You know, maybe he doesn't get quote-unquote credit for a rebound, but he kept an offensive tip up there, and then maybe, you know, O'Shea grabbed it and put it back in. Uh, but you notice that, you know, guys in there, you know, doing that sort of grunt work. And when Matt's doing the grunt work, Matt's having an okay night. You know, because you don't – Matt Moyer hitting threes is not what Matt Moyer's going to do that or supposed to do. Bench. Generally. Yeah. You know, if you make it, maybe you stay in. If, if you he take pulls it, up for a three, my immediate attention goes over to Jim Bayon. Well, if he pulls up for a three, it's it's about a twenty percent chance he's going to be on the floor <laughs> thirty seconds from now because he's about a, maybe a twenty percent three point shooter. All right. Well, how about on that front? Because that's where I sense a weakness. Yeah. This is no, not a team yeah. that consistently hits three pointers. Now they hit ten against Georgetown. They only took 11 and hit 5 against Buffalo. Which is a great percentage. It's a great percentage. It's because Buffalo played man mostly. Correct. But you only really have two guys that can hit threes on this team consistently. Mm-hmm. When you get to league play, you got to hit some threes. And I think they're going to see some zones. mind there, yeah. I, I think a few of these non-conference teams have been torn. They're man-to-man teams anyway. Do you change it up just for Syracuse? I think also some of the game, you, you've heard a couple teams, uh, Buffalo, the United said they, they kind of wanted to pressure Frank Howard. They wanted to see how he did, how they could handle it. And So do you do that stuff? Do you just keep to your own you know, base defense if it's man-to-man? Do you go after a Frank Howard, or do you play the zone – which I think a lot of coaches, you know, have already, and I think more are going to try it. Now, the more games Syracuse has, like you know, the shooting numbers at Georgetown were off the charts. Good. Um, I no one expects that. Uh, can you go five of eleven like they did against Buffalo from three point range? I don't know, but you you do that, you might discourage some teams or coaches from trying a lot of zone on you, but. I, I still think they're going to see some zone. I think they're going to see some matchup, and that'll be interesting on those nights where can you hit just a, enough threes to either convince a coach who's not totally wedded to the zone to get out of it, because coaches do that so much. They'll play zone for two or three possessions. You hit one three-pointer, and they go back to man. Um, it's kind of like the reverse of a Jim Beheim. You know, if he, <laughs> right, he yeah. plays man-to-man and the other team scores one basket, he's back in the zone. Um you know, can you hit just enough threes or can you find just enough openings? Can you stretch a team that maybe isn't used to playing zone? Get the openings that you would have had anyway. You know, can O'Shea Brissett still drive against the zone and get to the basket? Um, it'll be interesting. Have not uh, mentioned uh, Pascal. Let's do it. Pascal, the <laughs> other night, I think, provided what you need him to do. He blocked eight shots. Unbelievable. Against Buffalo. You need presence from mm-hmm. Pascal Chuku. And by the way, he only had one foul in that game. Here's a guy who I think has gotten into foul trouble. You know, consistently this year. But the other night, you know, that's it. I walk away from that game. I look at the box score and I say, that's exactly what you want him to do. Get rebounds, score, 
you know, within the basket. Maybe he's got to dunk the ball a little bit. And I right. think Jim Beheim was saying the other night that he has to stop going to the floor, just go up with the ball, which is kind of a common mistake for big men but that they kind of have to get out of sometimes. Yeah. He's 75% of the way to the rim just standing there. Um, so why bring the ball down and, and, and then have to go all the way back up again? I mean, think about that. Yeah, You're well, 75% yeah. of the way to the rim. Just go up. <laughs> But you're right. He had a pretty good game the other night. Five points, five rebounds, eight blocks. Eight blocks is an unbelievable number. Five rebounds, maybe you'd like to see a little bit more because he played more minutes with Barama being out. But I remember in the first couple exhibitions, and myself and a whole bunch of other people, and they know who they are, were like, Barama needs to play. Barama's going to start. When when does Beheim start Barama ahead of Pascal? And it's like, we all needed to remember, myself included here, Pascal did not play at all last season. And the season before, he didn't play, but he practiced because he transferred. But last season, because of the eye injury, he couldn't even practice. And I think we kind of forgot that, boy, this guy's not, he's knocking off not just rust, but he's just really getting everything back here. You know, learning like the rhythm of the game and playing and stuff and adjusting the goggles. Um, so maybe we should have given Pascal a little bit more time because look at the way he's playing now. I'm, you know, we talked about like why is this team maybe slightly or a little bit ahead of where we thought they might be, and we talked a lot about O'Shea. We might want to give a little bit of credit here to Pascal because he's played pretty well in some of these games. And you know, don't focus on the scoring; you're not going to score. But taking up space on defense, blocking some shots too, because those are two different things. Just taking up space, altering shots, denying passes. He had three steals in that Georgetown game. When does a center get three steals? But he's got those long arms, and he was anticipating entry passes. He was, you know, a lot of centers can't do that. He's already 75% there for for most (laughs) things. Just if you got the arms out and the presence is there, you're going to make plays. Yeah, so you know what? He's given them... I think a little bit more than they might have expected at this point in the season. I want to close with this thought, Mike. I, I've looked at this non-conference schedule that Syracuse has played this year, and I think it's darn near perfect. Now, you got to win these games. you got to take care of business. But given how the committee has said, the NCAA Tournament Committee has said, you got to play people in mm-hmm. non-conference. Syracuse took care of that. They scheduled Maryland in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, put Kansas on there, mm-hmm. played some teams – that we knew would be good, and maybe a couple that, okay, they turned out to be good. And Buffalo looked like an NCAA tournament team to me the other night. It's not only the strength of schedule, it's interest level. I think every game has had a reason, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, it's great that they play Buffalo. Bring in the fans from Western New York. St. Bonaventure is an old rivalry. We know why they play Georgetown. We know why they play Eastern Michigan. We know why they play Eastern Michigan. Bob Murphy. We know why they play Connecticut. And yes. it has gone this year, and I've looked at it, and I said, with, with the exception of one or two games, they've all had a purpose. They all kind of serve the master of the NCAA, like, hey, look at our non-conference slate. And then the next thing you know, it's going to be New Year's Eve, and they play ACC, and, and, and off you go. So I think they found their perfect non-conference schedule strategy with how they did it this year. Do you agree? Pretty much. Um, the only way it could get any, any better would be if Connecticut and Georgetown were better. But you know you can't make them better, you're, and you're going to play those teams. You want to keep up some of the Big East rivalries and ties. Uh, so you know, like where you could blame other schools or blame Syracuse if they schedule someone that's just absolutely cruddy and always cruddy. Um, in fact, many many years ago, maybe a decade, two decades ago, if you looked at the Syracuse schedule, they would play three or four pretty good teams. 
you know, some named teams would be in there, Michigan State and Arizona, whatever. You know, uh, you play in a tournament in Maui or, or Alaska. Uh, but then uh, too much of the rest of the non-conference schedule would be against really, really bad teams. And that wouldn't be great for your RPI and your strength of schedule. Syracuse, a long time ago, uh, at least a decade ago, maybe more, realized that we can't do that. We can't play that many teams that are that far outside the three, uh, the top 300. Now you see them play the three or four maybe five teams if you're in a tournament like Battle for Atlantis or Maui. But, like, you, you got Maryland, Kansas, Connecticut, Georgetown. Okay, good. Name teams, power conferences. Uh, but then beyond that, they're scheduling teams that are maybe sneaking into the top 100, like a Buffalo or a Bonaventure. And then the rest of the teams are between 100 and 200 in the, in the Ken Palm or the RPI. You know, Toledo's, Iona's, Oakland's. Uh, those aren't going to kill you. Uh, and the NCAA isn't going to look at them with, you know, a little side eye. <laughs> there's always one. There's always one that wins their conference tournament and gets in. And yes. you look back and you say, okay, we didn't think that Iona yeah. was an NCAA tournament team in November, but they end up being. And it's a little bit risky because you play a good mid-major, you're risking a loss. Yes, you are. Which you're going to get killed for. People are going to go, oh, how did you lose to those guys? Offered beat North Carolina. Thank you for bringing that I, up. I'm sure, I'm sure you appreciate it. Yeah, that was yes. really nice. <laughs> so... It doesn't have an immediate – the risk-reward, boy, you can lose a lot if you lose that game, especially Carolina's not going to be worried about it. They're not going to be on the bubble. But if you're a bubble team like Syracuse might be, that home loss can hurt. That Buffalo loss would have hurt the other night if they had lost that game. Um, you don't get that immediate boost for a win, but in the long term, if you pile up all those wins at the end of the season, the committee's going to go, well, they were, uh, you know, 7-0 and or blank and blank, or they didn't play anybody outside the top 200. Or it might end up being one team. Uh, whereas, you know, Georgetown's entire non-conference schedule is outside the top 300, except for the Syracuse game. Michael, always appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for coming back on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. Thanks, Brent. You too. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes. Look for us on Apple Podcasts. To get the latest delivered right to your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Brent Adams. We'll talk to you next time.